I invite all of you now to uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. There's a pew Bible on the end of the pew for you if you uh, need one. There's one uh, handy on both ends. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the first part of the New Testament. We're going to look at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 uh, through 10. As we uh, turn there, I'll remind us, of course, we're diverging uh, this week, as we did last week from our uh, series, from our schedule through our series of Mark and jumping ahead to uh, spend our time contemplating the realities of, of Easter as they're laid out in Mark. But we'll continue uh, next week, resume again with our series through the Gospel of Mark that we've been doing. Uh, as we look at these verses today, again, we will be looking at this particular reality, and I want us to focus on two things about the resurrection of Jesus. First is the evidence, the support for that resurrection. And the second is the way that that reality can free each and every one of us from the fear of death that holds us, maybe holds us in ways we don't even realize as we recognize a risen Savior. I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud and you read along silently from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. Very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again for our time looking at this passage. Oh, Father, how we ask now that you would minister to our hearts and lives through your word. We desperately need to hear from you. We desperately need to know more of the resurrection. And we desperately need to be freed from the fear of death, which surrounds us at every turn. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what your house is like early in the morning. We live in a neighborhood where houses are pretty close together, so when we're settling down in the evening, we close all the blinds to get a bit of privacy, and we've got brown, sort of fake wood-colored blinds, so it's, it's kind of dark in the morning when we wake up. In fact, it's very dark, even if it's sunny outside. 
And one of my favorite things to do, usually the first thing I do in the morning, is I walk around those six or seven windows that are towards the front of our house, and I grab that window blind cord and yank it down one by one, opening it up. Even if it's early in the morning, there's usually the bright light of that sunshine beginning to shine in to the darkness of our house. And it just brings me encouragement. It helps me start my day. So we consider the resurrection of Jesus today. It's a lot like that for us. As we embrace this by faith, we have the opportunity, if you will, to pull the blinds of the house of our soul and open them up to the bright light of the resurrection power of Jesus coming in and shining into the darkness of our hearts and lives. And so as we look at this reality of the resurrection today, I want us to have that in mind, and I want us to think about, again, two specific elements to Easter that I think are so important for us. The first are the facts of the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection, not like a formula E equals MC squared, but evidence. When stacked up, when put together, when evaluated unbiasedly, reveals to us that the resurrection isn't just some spiritual concept, isn't just some nice idea even to celebrate on Easter one time a year, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, it's a fact, and it means something for each of our lives. What it means for us is a a number of things. One of them is that we're freed from fear of death. If you want to follow along with me and your worship guide, you can. There's a section for notes on the, near the back page. And then the main idea then is this. Because the resurrection of Jesus is a well-attested fact, those who believe can enjoy full freedom from fear of death. Let's talk about these realities for a minute. First, the evidence for the resurrection. I recognize in a gathering this size, a lot of us probably come from different places spiritually. Maybe we've believed in the resurrection from a very early age and been convinced of it, die hard all the way along. Maybe we've come to faith later on at a point in our life and we have some questions about it. Well, we believe it generally. Or you might be here today. And you're really just investigating for the first time or here with family and you don't really know maybe what you would think about the resurrection. So we need to consider it for that reason, to understand what we believe about it, because it's a central reality to the Christian life. There's a reason we're all dressed up nicely and gathered here today for Easter. It's important. Jesus is rising from the dead. We also live in a culture that's not unique among all of history because at every period in history, one of the main ways that the culture and unbelieving cultures pushed against the Christian faith is by attacking the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's true in our time, whether it's the latest History Channel show revealing new discoveries, and I like the History Channel, I'll confess, 
or the latest Discovery or Da Vinci Code movie or the new atheism or even the church itself. As many in the established church around our country don't really believe the gospel is a fact. So we need to look at it for that reason. We need to look at it as well, even if we're convinced of the resurrection, because God calls us to help others to learn about it. How are we going to share if we don't understand why we believe in it? So let's talk about this today, and as we do, we're also going to see the way that that transforms us and gives us freedom from fear of death. I jotted down in your worship guide again, if you want to read it, a quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a guy that understood what it means to believe in Jesus and know the resurrection power. If you recall his uh, story, he was one of the few German theologians and pastors that stood against the Nazi regime and its attack not only on Jews and on the world, but its attack on those who were holding faithful to King Jesus over King Hitler. Bonhoeffer had actually escaped, was actually out of Germany at the time. He was a a pastor in America and then in uh, Great Britain. So he was out already, but he chose to come back to his home country because he wanted to minister to his people even in the midst of all the terrible things that were happening. Soon he was put in prison for his faith. He tried to minister to a sort of underground church even in prison. And then just three days before the Allied troops arrived, he was executed by express orders of the high Nazi command. Listen to what he wrote about dying and about resurrection. He said, Socrates mastered the art of dying. Christ overcame death as the last enemy. There's a real difference between the two things. The one is within the scope of human possibilities. The other means resurrection. It's not from the art of dying, but from the resurrection of Christ that a new and purifying wind can blow through our present world. If a few people really believe that and acted on it in their daily lives, a great deal would be changed. To live in light of the resurrection, that's what Easter means. The Bible talks about the evidence for the resurrection. If you want to, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians. We'll look at a few verses there. 1 Corinthians is further back in the New Testament, right after Romans and before you get to Galatians and Ephesians and so forth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has a lot to say about the reality of the resurrection. One thing that's interesting, in verses uh, 17 through 19 of chapter 15, is that the Apostle Paul himself says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished If only in this life we've hoped in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. What's interesting about that? It's not just the outside world that would point out to us 
the crucial evidence for the resurrection, that that's essential to our faith. The Apostle Paul himself says everything hangs on it. Christianity is unique in that way. It's centered around not just a spiritual idea of resurrection or of Christ dying for us. It's centered around the fact that he actually did it in space and time. So the Bible itself says we need to know, we need to have confidence in the resurrection or the whole thing's futile, Paul says. Well, why do we believe in the resurrection? Well, one thing is the Bible testifies to it left and right. All through the Gospels we read, they all have about a third of the space in the Gospel spent focused on that last week of Jesus' life. And all speak, of course, of the resurrection. Almost every book in the New Testament makes some reference to it in some way. But I want to talk about some specific points of evidence, and I draw here from John Stott's book, Basic Christianity, he reminds us of a couple points of evidence. Again, these are in your worship guide uh, laid out under resurrection evidence. The first is this, that the body was gone. Now, there's all kinds of theories about what actually happened to the Bible, to the body. One is that the body was stolen and that the disciples did this purposely and then fabricated the whole story of Easter. The big problem with that theory, although it might sound plausible to the skeptical side of us, each one of the disciples, almost to a man, died in a brutal and horrific way for their faith. And we might say that a person could die for a lie, right? Occasionally people will do that, sadly. Sometimes people will die for a lie that they know is a lie, but that's really, really, really rare. Almost never will somebody die for a lie that they know is a lie and that benefits them nothing. If the disciples fabricated this whole story about the resurrection, then pretty much each one of them went to horrific death, believing or saying they believed in something that they knew was a lie and that wasn't even going to yield them the eternal life they talked about because they would have known that it wasn't a reality. Folks, that's harder to believe than the resurrection evidence. It would be hard to find one person to do that, let alone a cadre of disciples. That's one theory is the body was stolen by the disciples. Another one is that the Jews or Roman leaders uh, took the body. Uh, That's problematic, too, because if all of a sudden this big Christian faith starts to develop, and they obviously weren't happy about it developing, what would you want to do to discredit? Go get the body. Bring it back out. Shut this whole thing down. Weren't able to do that because the body had been risen. There's another perspective called the swoon theory, that Jesus just sort of faked, swooned like he was dead, and then got back up. Well, a couple problems with that. You know, they wrapped bodies back then in about 100 pounds worth of cloth and fabric. You ever seen a, a, a mummy, you know, wrapped all the way up in all that stuff, wet and trapped inside of it in a straitjacket, basically, 
That'd be impressive for a guy that had been hanging on a cross for a while, even if he was swooning. And also, one other fact, the Romans, the Roman soldiers, were elite. Those guys who were in charge of executions made sure that the person was executed. One other theory, and then I'll move on, is that it wasn't even Jesus. Somebody else was on the cross. There's a problem with that, too. Why'd they send Jesus to the cross to begin with? Because they were upset at him. They knew who he was. He was a public figure. They'd seen him in the marketplaces speaking. The only logical conclusion we can draw is that the body was gone. The body literally was gone. Another reality about the resurrection is the grave clothes were undisturbed. This is an interesting one. I've never really put a lot of thought into, actually, until this week, getting ready for the sermon. You know, uh, the Gospels, Mark doesn't say as much about it, but Luke and John do mention the fact that the the clothes, the, the, the garments, again, that Jesus was wrapped in were just lying right there. And the point here is that Jesus wasn't resuscitated. He didn't sort of get up and start moving around. He, he was brought and raised up out of those clothes, and they fell right where they were. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it, that Jesus was not just resuscitated, but that he was resurrected, that he was raised up. It's an awesome thing for you and me today, because if we put our trust in Christ, he promises that we can have a resurrected body. Now, I don't know where you are with the things of of your body, but... uh, I'm starting to feel the bumps and bruises along the way in my, uh, my, my 37 years here, I guess it is now. Uh, back in my high school years, I, I had this shoulder, my left one, that would dislocate all the time and had surgery on that one. And over the last 20 years or so, I've always enjoyed the fact that the old right one, especially when you got the, my four boys, Team Peters, out there playing some pickup baseball or football or whatever, that I can still use the right one pretty good. About six, seven months ago, that all changed. Not some dramatic uh, tackle like back in high school in the football field. Not not some military injury or exciting by that. Not even reaching and saving one of my kids. You want to know how I messed up my right shoulder about six or seven weeks ago? Six or seven months ago? Reaching behind my head in bed to adjust my pillow. (laughs) That's how I messed up my right shoulder. And I'll tell you, it's an interesting visit when you go to the doctor for that one, isn't it? <laughs> doctor says, okay, uh, Mr. Peters, uh, ha- how'd you injure that shoulder of yours? Well, it was, uh, it was a pillow. A pillow had a pillow issue. Uh, Mr. Peters, was it, uh, you know, was, a, was it one of those big pillows, like a throw pillow? Was that what we're talking about? No, no, not a throw pillow. Did you have a, did you have a pillow fight? Mr. Peters, did you have a pillow fight? No? No pillow fight. Were, were you kind of reaching off the edge of the bed and trying to grab the pillow off the floor and you fell out? No, no, not that either. No, just trying to move the pillow behind my head messed up my shoulder. I mean, you know, you're, you're providing, you're excited when you leave the doctor because you're providing fodder for a, a thousand water cooler conversations with his other doctor buddies for the rest of the week. He's like, uh, you got this one? Let me tell you about pillow boy. Let me tell you about pillow boy I got. Folks, our bodies are wasting away. God might grant us the privilege at a young age to realize that. 
Might be getting long in our 30s and realizing it. Might be getting long in our 60s or 70s and realizing it. Our bodies are fading. We need a resurrected body. And Jesus offers to give that to us. So the body was gone. The grave clothes were undisturbed. There's another fact that the Lord Jesus was seen. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, I invite your attention there. The Apostle Paul says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And then he gives a little summary of the gospel, of the central belief of the Christian faith. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then listen to this, starting in verse 5. He says, He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. They can testify. And some of whom who have fallen asleep, that means died. Then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, to himself. That's not even mentioning the appearance to the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus, the appearance to Peter, several other appearances. Now, here's the deal. Again, folks would say, well, maybe people were just hallucinating. Maybe they just saw an image. You know, you can get a little crazy sometimes. We all get there. Maybe they just saw some kind of image or illusion of Jesus. Really? Ten, eleven different groups of people, sometimes one, sometimes 500, sometimes 12. They were all mistaken about this. And some of them, a number of them even alive to be able to testify to it. Again, that's hard to believe. The last thing that demonstrates the proof and evidence of the resurrection is the simple reality that the disciples were radically changed. The Bible makes no bones about it. It doesn't portray them in some glamorous light. It shows them at the end of the, end of the Gospels. Peter, for instance, has denied Jesus. He's in shambles. They're despondent. They're in despair. They think he's gone. And then the book of Acts comes along right after the Gospels and tells us about the early church. And all of a sudden, Peter starts to live up to the definition of that name. Peter, Petros, Rock. And stand and boldly proclaim in the face of danger, in the face of threats to his life, that he believes Jesus has arisen. Folks, where are you with the evidence for the resurrection? Where, where is your belief? It's Easter Sunday. We're thinking about it. It's on our minds. Where are we in believing it, embracing it? As I said earlier, it's so important that we embrace it fully For our salvation, it's also really important that we embrace it for this specific area I want us to think about as we conclude today. And that is that we can have tremendous freedom from the fear of death. Let me mention one other passage from 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to think about all these matters more, I invite you just to meditate and read on this uh, 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. In verse 54, the apostle continues talking about the resurrection, and he says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, he's talking about our dead bodies putting on the new body, the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that was written, 
Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul is reminding us there that Jesus gives us freedom from death. Now, you may say, I don't really think about death that much. Well, the men in here might stick out our chest and say, I'm not, I'm not afraid to die. The young ones in us uh, here might say, ah, death will never catch up to me. That's not a reality at all. My uh, oldest son, just a few days ago, was reading through the obituary pages of the newspaper. Try to provide a wide range of educational opportunities for the youngsters around the Peters house. Actually, I was painting. I was doing some painting work. So my drop cloth was the newspaper, and I didn't realize that, that he was reading the uh, drop cloth. And he said, Dad, he said, Dad, look, this, uh, this lady right here, she, she died. She died just a few days ago. Well, I was, you know, doing my painting thing, so I gave him the perfunctory parental, oh, 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 really? He said, no, 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 Dad, this, this lady died just a few days ago. Right? This is news. This is the newspaper. What to him was shocking, what to him was compelling, was new information. To us, we need to remember better every day. Even in a city our size, takes up several pages in the obituaries. Folks, we are headed ultimately for death. And as joyful, as excited, I'm excited today at Easter and the resurrection, the, the, the joy and the delight only ultimately comes, the good news only ultimately comes to our hearts if we really deal honestly and directly with the bad news. But the fear of death goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because whether we realize it or not, every day, every week, in every way that we take the things of this life, might be really good things, and seek to invest in them, seek to fill them up with more capacity than they can handle, seek to find eternal life in this life, we're ultimately demonstrating our fear of death. If we fixate on our personal appearance, it's actually a fear of death. How many... This isn't just women that are uh, suspect to this, but uh, how many uh, commercials for makeup ladies remind you of how many years those creams are going to take away? And fixate on how much we've saved for retirement. We know how fleeting that's been the last few years. And fixate on trying to live eternally, even through good stuff like our kids, our kids' achievements in sports or at school. Somehow we're going to get life out of that. You fixate on some passion or illicit desire outside the will of God and say, that will give me some escape from the reality that I'm dying. That will give me the taste of heaven that I need now. You fixate on endless entertainment, even as Neil Postman titled his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. All these things are ways we don't even maybe think about it, but really what we're trying to do is dodge the bullet of death. One theologian said this, and I'll conclude with this. 
He said, when the sun, S-O-N, rises, all other lights go out. When the sun rises, all other lights go out. People, I invite us to pull those blind shades in the soul of our lives and allow that light of the resurrection come in to give us freedom from fear of death. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we praise you and rightly praise you every day and moments throughout every day, but especially on this day for your work, for your work on the cross and laying down your life and for your work of raising up from the dead that we might have the joy of full freedom from fear of death. Let us experience it. Let us know it. Let us walk in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.